1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE.
0: Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn? And when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times best-selling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized the world worked in many different ways, I'm going to choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that at any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge, be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. Hello again and welcome to Insight Live. I'm here with Brendan Kumarasamy and we are going to talk today about how to create a vision for your life. And the reason we're going to talk about this is we were discussing some ideas for today's show and Brendan was recently thinking about the importance of creating a vision. We talked about this in a previous episode. And so we're going to dive in and really unpack the building blocks of creating a vision. And now you mentioned somebody who you think's done a very, very good job of creating a life vision, and that's Lewis Howes. So why don't we start there? What is, I guess, actually, before we get into Lewis, when you think of a vision, for your life, what exactly does that mean? Let's break down the definition of creating a vision for your life.
1: And that's why the topic is so fascinating, Billy, because so many of us have very different definitions as to what that means. Let me give some context here. Most of the human population, if I'm being perfectly honest, don't really have a vision for their life. They mostly copy other people's visions. So for example, if they look up to their parents and they go, well, Billy, what should I do with my life? And you say, well, son, you should probably be a doctor or an engineer or something that pays well, maybe in the technology space. So that gives you ideas and you say, okay, I guess I'll do that. And then after I get a job, I'll come back to you and I go, what do I do now? And you say, well, you know, most people tend to get married and have kids. You should probably look into having a girlfriend. I go, okay. So then I get married. And then I ask you again, you know, Billy, I have the job. I got the girlfriend. What, do I should, what should I do now? Oh, well, you know, Brandon, you should probably buy a house. On and on again. Most of us tend to repeat that same exact cycle. Get married, have kids, have a, get them a nice education, get a diploma. And over again, we always repeat the same reel. And that's where the conversation of vision stops. Just do what the person you deem to be successful has done. And if you do that, you have a successful vision. But then there's a second level to that, a second layer. That a small group of people have, a very tiny one, which is they look at society and how life is lived and they say, I don't think that's the vision of my life. I actually think I'm meant to start a cupcake business or a ramen restaurant or to create a platform where people could sell arts and crafts and transact with each other, which ended up being Etsy that people should sleep in strangers' houses and then create a platform and scale that to billions of people that end up being Airbnb or taxis, that everyone could be an Uber driver. So it shall be, and so it became, right? With Travis Kalanick, and Uber. Some people have visions for where they want to go. And then there's the third level, really. So already, I'm already complicating this a lot because you're already like, wait a second, there's like, most of us stop at level two or level one. Level three is not just having the vision, but also being able to describe what the result of that vision looks like for yourself in the world. So remember, when we talked about Christo. Christo's a very good level two vision thinker, where he goes, you know, my goal in life is to help a billion people do what they love, get paid to do that without selling their soul. Very specific. But there's even a deeper level to that, which is if that vision came to life. How does that manifest? What does that feel like? What does that taste like? What does it smell like? And there's this full 3D version of what the vision is. And this is why, you know, as we're getting started this conversation, why vision conversations are very difficult to have, because literally every human being you meet is on a completely different side of the spectrum. So no one's ever on the same page when we're talking about our vision.
0: I love the levels. And so as we think about the three levels, I think it's clear to me that, to your point, most of us are living life through imitation. We're living life because what has been modeled before us is a certain path that we feel, frankly, almost innately, we are required to follow. And I do believe that a large reason that's true is evolution, We're here for a reason. You're here, I'm here. Anyone living right now on this planet is here for a reason. You've survived. And you've survived because you've put yourself out of harm's way. You've been risk adverse, risk averse. So you're not going into risky situations. You're not putting yourself into situations where you might face death. And I'm being a bit dramatic, but the the reality is that we do have a fear of the unknown, fear of obstacles, treachery, things that are gonna get us in a, a bad spot in a pickle, right? And so because we're so afraid of being put in a pickle, being put in this awkward, unusual, uncomfortable or weird feeling, we take the most comfortable, safe path we can take. And speaking generally, not all of us, but generally speaking, we take a path that is most convenient, and most likely to not make us feel uncomfortable. And then there are the small select few that take a path where they're okay with being uncomfortable. In fact, they thrive on being uncomfortable. And so how does a person who's watching, listening right now, how do they start to make sure that they do what they can to push down their natural born instincts to take the safe route, but instead take the less safe route?
1: Beautiful question. Let me pull out a lot of interesting things you said there, Billy. So the first thing that I want us to talk about is this idea of imitation that you brought up so well. Most of us imitate other people. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that per se. You know, Austin Kleon has an amazing book called Steal Like an Artist, and he argues in his book that stealing is actually a good way for you to learn, a good way for you to get inspired from what other people think and how other people act. And I completely agree with that. The way I think of it, though, is imitation is kind of like training wheels on a bike. Use it as a tool to get ready. But one day I implore you to take off those train wheels because you don't need them your entire life or in everything that you end up doing in the end state. So what I would encourage people to do is to start transitioning from level one to level two. So what does level one look like? Level one is pure imitation. You're just doing what other people have done and there's nothing wrong with that. You're making a decision, you're moving forward, you're doing something with your life. But level two is to start that process to create something that's a bit more unique, not a lot, but just a bit more unique. To the life that you want to live. And it gets even more interesting if most people don't want to live it. I'll give you a good example. I was on a call with this incredible guy on LinkedIn named Jason Stein. And I was talking to Jason, and he was telling me how, you know, he used to live in the city, you know, make very good money for himself. His wife did extremely well, multiple six-figure family. And they made the decision to leave their corporate jobs and to go live in a in a wooden cabin in the middle of a forest. Where they hunt for their own food, where they don't really have health care insurance, they just use natural products to serve themselves, and there's almost nobody around them. They spend most of their time just playing outside. And it's a fascinating lifestyle choice, one that we don't really promote, especially in a country like the United States, or in most of modern society. Yet he's probably one of the happiest guys I've ever met in my life on a Zoom call. And this is what I encourage people to do. Level two vision doesn't necessarily mean we're going to create this technology that's going to shift the way that we think about the world. No, not really. But rather saying, what are those little things that we want to do differently than everyone else? And how do we start stacking those little things on top of each other instead of hiding them? Let me repeat that again. How do we start stacking those small little things that we want to do differently from everyone else instead of hiding them? Here's an easy example with me. I should probably not be telling anyone on LinkedIn, which is a platform professionals, that I love living with my mom, even if I'm a 25-year-old adult. But the reason I'm so proud of it is because I love my mom and I love spending time with her. And this is something that most 25-year-olds would want to hide. It's not something they'd want to share publicly, but because I'm willing to share it, it's just one small thing over the next. So I'd say the first step, the easiest step that people can take besides imitation to get towards a more compelling, more unique vision for themselves is just to sit down and say, in what ways do I want to live my life that's just a bit different than the way Billy and everyone else does? A bit different than what Rachel and everyone else does. And to stack those little things on top of each other until your life looks dramatically different than the average advertised, and I like advertised, advertised marketed member of our Western society. (laughs) It's so true, right? Because we have
0: a vision that is the collective vision of, call it society. And society says, this is the model citizen. And in order to be the model citizen, you need to have two and a half kids, a white picket fence. You need to have these cars in your garage, blah, 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 blah. And what you're suggesting is you take these micro differences, no matter how small, you stack them instead of hide them. And the other thing you said is you don't necessarily need to have this groundbreaking technology that's changing the entire world to have a vision. So I want to unpack that a little bit. And let's get as practical as we can, because I definitely... Encourage anyone who is participating in this to really start thinking about how this applies into your own life. So, what can someone do right now, in addition to what you've just mentioned, to start to craft their own vision? And then we, I know I mentioned we're going to get into Lewis. So, we will get into him in a minute to give you some real world examples. Even though he is an extraordinary human, it's still a real world example. So, what are some of those practical, specific things somebody could be doing? To take action immediately.
1: Absolutely, Billy. Here's the thing that I really want to drive in this conversation, because this one's fairly unique and interesting in the sense that you actually don't need to implement a lot of what we say to make progress in a way 99% of human beings don't. So even if you just do one of these tactics that we're going to be sharing today in this podcast, you're going to be reflecting in your life. In a way that 99%, and I'm not exaggerating this number, this is real, and it's it's unfortunate. I wish it was more people. I wish I could tell you that 99% of people did this, but it's in fact the complete opposite. Only 1% of the people I've interacted with have even remotely thought of it. So I implore you, I'm going to give a bunch of tactics, no problem, but just implement one that you're the most comfortable with. So one is the one we talked about, microdosing, right? Just micro stacking, (laughs) rather. (laughs) Microdosing. (laughs) Microdosing. First,
0: you start with microdosing. Okay, now we're going to get banned.
1: <laughs> Micro stacking, right? So just take a paper. Simple, right? Make a list of all of those little things that you want your life to be a bit more different. So I'll give you an example with me. I always like to use real life examples. So for me, it's having very, very little expenses. It's being able to have dinner with my friends and yell at them every week. And having a little money for Uber to do a little back and forth. It's the ability to travel to conferences and meet amazing people. It's the time freedom to go to Billy if I wanted to and have some ramen with him and just add those little things on top of each other. Well, there's other things like it's interviewing guest shows and brainstorming with Seth Godin for 14 hours a day, even if he wouldn't want to be 100 meters near me, right? It's those things. Those are the fun things just stacked up in your life. That's the easiest thing. And I can guarantee you there's nobody on this podcast who's even thought about this. There's nobody who's doing that. So even that will put you on an edge. that's one. Second thing, which ties in very well with our good friend Lewis House, is someone who has done this exceptionally well. This is an exercise I got from him that really helped me. And I did this exercise myself when I was 21, 22-ish. And the exercise is called the perfect day exercise. So all you do is take a piece of paper or a Word document and you just sit down and you write down what your perfect day would look like if you had the perfect day what would it look like but here's where most people go wrong with it is they they write about it in two general details they would say something like uh oh, you know i wake up and i drink orange juice and uh i go shopping it's like it's like very general what lewis implores us to do this is what i do with my perfect day is we're talking excruciating details what time are we waking up at Are we waking up next to anybody? Are we even in a house? Are we even having breakfast? If so, what is for breakfast? Who's making it? Is there a personal chef coming? What's happening? Are we switching countries during the day? What's happening at the end of the day? When you start to write that, it becomes a lot more clear as to what you actually want in life, not what everyone else is telling you to want in life. And then the third piece is just taking these two little exercises. There's a lot more that I can give today. But just these two little things and just adding a couple of bits and pieces from those little exercises, the micro stacking and the perfect day and bringing that back into our life, implementing them bit by bit. And then the third thing I'll add as well is a question. And you got to ask hundreds of questions, but I'll give you the one that that will give you 80% of the result. The question is, if you had all the money in the world, how would you spend your time for the rest of your life? If you do just these three things, I mean, if you do even one of these things, I think you'll be ahead of most people. But if you do all three, you'll definitely be ahead of 99.7 of people.
0: So if we're going to look at, let's unpack number two, because I think that's, truthfully, it's the easiest one to implement. Actually, the second and the third, all of them are actually pretty easy. But I think the, the easiest one to wrap your mind around is this idea of literally writing out your perfect day almost as if you're a novelist and you're going to write every minute detail where you are. And like you said, every, every little tiniest detail because all those details matter. And it makes sense. So this is your vision on a daily level. How do we then extrapolate that into a larger, bigger vision that is our life vision? If that's our daily vision, how does that then transcend into be our life vision?
1: Fascinating question. Let's talk about the purpose of the perfect day. How about we start there so it's easier for people to digest? The reason why the perfect day exercise is so crucial, or any of these three, is it helps us as human beings to do one thing that we never do, that we used to do as kids, which is to dream. To dream, to just imagine a life that we don't have and pursue that. You know, when we were kids, there was so much to explore, to do. Even if we looked at a toy store, we'd freak out. We'd be like, oh my God, look at all these toys. Billy, buy me these puzzles. Billy, buy me these action figures. Right? It's, like, it's crazy. But as we get older, we lose that novelty, even if the world mm. is such a beautiful thing. And because we don't dream anymore, we tend <laughs> not to aspire for more. And when we don't aspire for more of course it becomes very difficult to craft a vision, yet alone a compelling one. And we just end up imitating everyone and dying, which is so unfortunate. (laughs) It's, you know, Reed Hastings has this very, very, very dark quote. He says, most of us as human beings just entertain ourselves to death. You know, all we do is when we don't have a vision, we just entertain ourselves. Okay, we'll watch a movie here, we'll do this, and then we die. And I thought that was so powerful and so true. Especially coming from him, right? Especially coming from him. <laughs> right, but, but that's what Reed said. He, said. he said, I love Netflix. Don't get me wrong. I love the shows, but I don't prevent Netflix. I don't see it as a vehicle of escapism. I see it. He doesn't say it exactly. I'm saying it a bit more uh, wordier than he does, but he, he, said, he sees it as a form of of dreaming, of imagination, of what else could be possible? What other show could we add to the library? But yeah, big fan of Reed. But the idea here is what The Perfect Day does, it doesn't give us the perfect answer. It doesn't give us the silver bullet because frankly, all of our human experiences are so unique that it's really hard to find that silver bullet that just cuts through everyone. And that's why the crafting a compelling vision is such a fascinating conversation but also very complex to kind of break down. But just going back here to your question that I think is a very important one, an astute one, is how do we take this perfect day exercise and extrapolate that for our lives? Mm -hmm. So here's what I would say. Once we get into the habit of dreaming, the next step is what I call emulating great individuals and crafting our own and using them as inspiration to craft our own. So this is what I do, essentially. I look at people I admire. And I do imitate them. Like like I said, they're training wheels. It's not wrong to imitate people, but you need to go a level beyond that. So you need to really sit down and ask yourself, why do I admire these people? Why did I pick this person over that person? And it might just be one thing. So I'll give you a couple of examples to help people kind of digest this in their brains. So let's say Scott Harrison. Scott Harrison is definitely an individual I'm modeling my life after. But is it because I want to be the CEO of my own nonprofit? Absolutely not. I'll never do that for my whole life. I don't want to do that. I like being a capitalist. I like doing for-profit. I like doing YouTube because it benefits me selfishly and the world at the same time. Those are the type of stuff that get me excited. I don't want to do a non-profit. But what Scott Harrison did with his life is he modeled, he prioritized, he optimized his life for impact. So the one thing I took from him is even if I had a net worth of a million or $10 million, I should not be spending it on dumb shit. I should be reinvesting that money to help other people. Not buy a stupid Ferrari, but rather saying, okay, What can I do with that $500,000? How many people can I get clean water? That's really the lesson I got from Scott. So notice how it's not like very specific. Well, I want his gray hair or I want to wake up at 8 a.m. And I'm really jealous of his relationship with his wife as well. I think they have a beautiful family and that's something I'd love for myself. So notice how these things are very general. Whereas when I think, think about someone like Michael Jordan, there are many things about his life I don't want, but the one thing I definitely want in his life that I'm still working towards is his mindset. Is mindset around competition, right? It's something I've always learned from. So what I encourage people to do is use other human beings that you admire as training wheels, as reference points to say, oh, Billy has done that. And I want to do this a bit differently. I'll give one other example. Gary Vaynerchuk, right? He did social media, he blew all his platforms up, but he talks primarily about business and motivation. So when I looked at Gary Vaynerchuk's life, I didn't say I wanted to necessarily be Gary V because he lives a very exhausting life, (laughs) to be honest. Or And he gets on on daily calls with his fans. like absolutely bonkers. Whereas for me, the the lesson from Gary Vee is I want to do something similar to what he did, but in the context of communication, public speaking. So notice how I'm not directly taking his life, but I'm using it as inspiration to craft something unique for me. But it's a good reference point to go, oh, now it makes sense in my head that I want to be the Gary Vee, that guy, but for effective communication. So that's what I would encourage people to do beyond the perfect day exercise.
0: Okay, what I'm hearing you say is the people who act as guideposts or reference points for us to not copy exactly, but to use as inspiration and to, to change slightly to match what will help us. And if we go back to the perfect days example, this is what you want to do. This is what you want to spend your day doing. I actually think that these two concepts tether really nicely because if you think about it from a perspective of, okay, here's big picture, somebody that's done what you want to do. They've gotten to a point that you feel is a point is kind of where you want to go. They've done, they've gotten to the mountaintop and they've gotten there in a way in which you may or may not choose to go that exact way. In fact, what you can do is choose a different way. And to me, that different way is fueled by the daily activities, the things you do on a daily basis. So that's, I think, to me, where, where I'm hearing you, and correct me if, if I'm not, I mean, I don't think there's any perfect way to, to think about this, but what I'm thinking about is they're giving you the vision of how they got to a certain point in their lives. And you can have several people that have certain things, like you mentioned, maybe one person, it's relationship. You admire that. Another person... It's how they've dominated on social media. Another person, it's how they've conducted themselves in business. Another person, it's how they, you know, you you get where I'm going. And then what you do on a daily basis is what will help you get to that point. Am I explaining this in the way in which it's intended?
1: Absolutely, brother. And it's your point, right? There's no easy way to explain this either. Here's a fun analogy I thought of while you were talking. It's kind of like a buffet, right? Me and you go to a buffet and statistically, our plates will be drastically different because there's so much choice on the plate. You might want to have meatloaf that day, whereas I go, I don't want no meatloaf. Get out of here. I want to eat some egg rolls. (laughs) So every, and this is actually interesting when I think about it, because I always go to the buffet. This is what, what we always do all the time as Indian families. Is we're, I love buffets. we're like family. I know you do. You don't have to tell me. I know you. Worst part of
0: worst part of COVID <laughs> is, is no, no. But I mean, not really. But you know, this is I mean. good it's for you. Good.
1: It's, it's okay.
0: This is good for me. Yeah, <laughs> I still gained weight. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> no buffets, but I just get, eat a whole lot more bread, homemade bread now.
1: Ooh, I'm kind of jealous now. Now I want some homemade bread. we was talking about food on the show. We should like change. It. We should get the Food Network to sponsor this topic for another day. We got to mention <laughs> But but the point I want to drive. I actually found this find this fascinating personally. And notice how another thing I want people to understand. Notice how I'm just following my own weird curiosity, my own weird intuition. Like who the hell compares a vision compelling to buffets? I'm just doing this because it's fun. That's the key. I want people to to start learning that art of creativity, that art of not being afraid of mistakes, that art of just pushing the boundary of what your curiosity is making you drive to. So I was going back to the buffet analogy. Now that I think about it. Even if there's 15, 20 people that I go with, we go in big families to these, these Chinese buffets primarily, and everyone's plate is always different. And even if some people are ordering the same thing sometimes, if you look at the full three course meal, there's no one person at the table who had the exact same food, the exact mm-hmm. same portion, the exact right. same meal. And I think that's the same thing with the vision. But here's what's cool about the buffet is you don't need to spin around in circles going, oh, what should I order? I don't know what to order. No, it's like, no, the food's there, bro. Like just just pick, like the options are available. And I think vision is the same thing. All of us are unique human beings and many of us will want the same things. You have kids. I want kids, not for a long time. You have a beautiful wife. I would love an amazing partner someday as well, right? So there's some things that we have in common, but there's other things that I don't really want with your life Like, your weight. Like, I don't want them to knock fucking butt at you, right? (laughs) Right, it's just, this is true, right? So there's that part, like, fitness. There's that. There's, I don't want to start a podcast like you. Your magic, your unique gift is your ability to interview other people. I don't like doing that. I like talking to other people. I like learning their stories. But I don't want to, like, make a whole show around that. So that's the key I want people to realize is use other human beings as North stars, as options to choose from. And you, as the human being, as the unique person that you are, start cherry picking the little things that you like about everyone. Like even with Billy, Mm -hmm. I cherry pick the things I like about him. I like the way that he leads. I like the way that he, he doesn't put himself on a pedestal regardless of his accomplishments. That's the piece I take from him. Not his diet plan. (laughs) Just (laughs) to just mess with him. But that's the thing, right? Is there something we're taking from everyone? And I'm still doing that. That's why the conversation is so difficult, Billy, because there's no finish line. There's no day where I'm going to look at you. <laughs> there's no day where I'm going to look at you, Billy, and say, you know what? My vision is complete. My vision is perfect, Billy. That's never going to happen. Because before I met you, honestly, my vision was a bit different. That I met you and then I was like, oh, I should probably tweak this. But when I meet the next person, it's mm-hmm. going to tweak again. So I encourage people to just go into the buffet. And not be afraid to pick stuff off the buffet and put on your damn plate and make a choice.
0: So what you're saying is your North Star is barbecue beef
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. or pork. But for other people, it's gonna be tofu because they're vegetarian.
0: Let's now go into the realm of somebody that you and we talked about this at the very beginning. You already mentioned him a couple times, is Lewis Howes. Why do you think he has such a clear vision, a clear life vision? of where he wants to go, how was he able to create it? Do you think he used some of these methods that you described or did he do it in another way?
1: Minus the buffet analogy I used, he did use most of what I did say, but probably not with the topic of food. So I'll give you an example. In his early childhood, when he was around 10 to 12 years old, he was, his dad was watching a football game, American football for those of you who are foreign, who are outside of the, United, the US and Canada. And he asked his dad, dad, who is this person you're watching on TV? His dad said, oh, son, you know, Lewis, this is an all American. This is a football player. This is somebody who has achieved a lot in their life. Mm-hmm. And Lewis looked at the TV screen because he grew up being, you know, a bit introverted, overweight. Not many people liked him. He didn't even like himself. And he talks a lot about this in his in his life and in many of his episodes. But in that moment, he made the decision. He said, one day I'm going to become an All-American in anything. I'm not sure what it's going to be, but I want to be an All-American athlete. So from the ages of 12 to 20, 21-ish, that's what his focus was. And he did become an All-American in uh, the tri- triathlon. I think it's called decathlon. Decathlon, that's what it's called. And he became an All-American in the decathlon. And then he went on to play a pro professional football for a couple of months until you know he got his injury. And the rest was history. But the point I want to drive here is what Lewis does really well, going back to my buffet analogy, is one, he's not afraid to make a choice and stick with it. And I'll go back and return the food. He's not afraid to just dive a vision. But the other piece that is very unique to Lewis is he's very good at reinventing himself. He's not afraid to readjust his vision. So an example from his life is after he got the injury on the wall when he was playing arena football, his vision had to be reinvented because it was, I need to get into the NFL, right? The National Football League. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it was, hey, I can't do that anymore. But whereas 99%, most people in that situation, Billy, as you'd probably guess, would just give up. They just wouldn't know what to do. It would just kind of malter. And we see a lot of that tragically. But Lewis is in that few camp that has that open-mindedness to always explore other options, to always model other people's lives, to always see what he can learn from other people and constantly readjust his vision. And it was actually through conversation with Gary Vaynerchuk that he ended up having the idea for the School of Greatness podcast and ended up dominating that platform itself.
0: Who are the people, do you think, that he used as his reference points? You mentioned Gary Vee. Is it him? Is it somebody else? Like, who do you think the people are who he looked at and used as models or as roadmap to help craft his personal life journey?
1: That's a fascinating question. If I had to guess, I never really thought of that. To be honest, Billy, it's something I need to think about. That's why I love these conversations. But there's a couple I can give you right now that that I do know for sure. So Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning, the the football player, Peyton
0: Manning, Peyton yes, Manning. Uh-huh.
1: So he was. He, it's like the Muggsy Bogues. Muggsy Bogues. Muggsy Bogues. Yeah. <laughs> Mugsy Bugs. Muggsy <laughs> Bugs. Bugs. Okay. Thank you. So, so Peyton Manning <laughs> was a big inspiration for Lewis growing up because he wanted to be like Peyton. That was his goal. He wanted to be in that role. So he focused on that specific individual when he was playing football. But then later in life, as he got older and he started, you know, scaling up his online business. It became affiliate marketers. And then after that, when he was thinking about the school of greatness, it was people like Gary Vaynerchuk, Marie Forleo. He he also talked about the three guests that he always wanted to interview in a show. So I would, let's assume for the purposes of conversation, they're obviously people he studied intensively or else why would he want to have them at the top of his bucket list to interview? So we're talking about Will Smith. We're talking about Dwayne Johnson. We're talking about Tony Robbins. Those are the top three guests that he wanted on the show. And of course, Kobe Bryant was one of those people as well when he started the show and ended up interviewing him years later. These are some examples of people. And if I had to guess in categories, it's primarily sports athletes and influencers. So sports athletes and influencers were probably most of the individuals that Lewis actually tailored his podcast and what he was doing against. The other piece as well, I also think... Though I don't think he talks a lot about it. this, is me Brendan just putting on his thinking cap on. Larry King, I'm sure, was a big inspiration for Lewis as well. Even if he doesn't talk about it a lot, I would say that's another piece of Lewis's inspiration.
0: So why is it that you pick him as somebody that you're impressed by his vision? What is it about his vision that stands out amongst all the different people who you admire, who you respect? He's the one that you highlighted when we had our conversation before we got started. And you said, hey, he's the guy that has a vision that's really impressive.
1: Yeah, it's a fascinating question as well. I think for me, Billy, the reason why Lewis has such a compelling vision is not necessarily because of how exciting or how big the vision is. Because let's be honest, Elon Musk has a much bigger vision than what Lewis has. I mean, Elon wants to go to the Mars. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a whole other game, right? It's like, Louis totally. like, okay, you know, I'm just going to stay here actually. But what I like about Louis is a couple things. One is the simplicity of his vision. He's, the way that he explains, like impact hundred million lives every week through the School of Greatness podcast. That's the vision. Super simple. It's easy to digest. It's specific. It's actionable. And it's a North star that is attractive for him and his team to pursue. And then that's going to manifest in different areas, the podcast, the show, the live events, et cetera. But the other piece that's super impressive, there's three things. The first one is just the simplicity of the vision and how detailed it is. The second one is, is his ability to teach how, how to achieve a similar vision to everyone else. I think personally, besides Patrick Bitt David, Lewis Howes has the best thought leadership on how to find your vision. I actually think he's top tier because of the perfect day exercise. That changed my life. Like That was a game changer in and of itself. The third one, though, And this is something not a lot of people catch about Lewis, is the number of different visions he's had in his life. He wanted Mm. to become a football player in the NFL. Then he wanted to scale up an online business. Then he wanted to start a podcast. Then he wanted to have a live event about the podcast. And now he wants to impact 100 million lives. A week can be this generation's Larry King. That's a very different turn of events, Billy. Like it went from, I just want to be a professional athlete to, oh, actually I want to be a Larry King now. Whoa, what happened here? And he's, he's talked about other goals he's had. I mean, very small ones to begin with, uh, you know, speaking up in Toastmasters in his early days, speaking up in public. He was really scared of public speaking early in his life. That's one example. Another one was to dance with Ellen one day. He wasn't sure how. He just knew he wanted to do that. And he ended up doing that 10 years later. It was kind of freaky. And the other piece was having a New York Times bestseller book, which he did with the School of Greatness book launch. So what's fascinating about Lewis, what I love is not just the way that he communicates his vision, how simple it is and how he teaches it, but more importantly, how different those visions are and how he's been able to constantly create new ones that are completely different from the last ones. So it's the variety that I'm fascinated by with Lewis versus somebody like Gary Vee, who really hasn't changed course. It's really Jets, 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 Jets. I want to buy the New York Jets. I want to buy the New York Jets. And that's it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Or there's nothing wrong either with Elon Musk. Hey, I want to solve climate change. I want to go to Mars. And that's it. That's my two areas of focus. Then he, besides the other seven he's got in his head. That's what he communicates. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's nothing we can really learn from that either. And the reason there's not a lot we can learn from that either is because when I look at someone like Elon and I don't have a vision, I go, well, Elon's lucky. He had a vision, I don't. So I guess I'm just the people who don't. But what I like about Lewis is it's a more of a relatable approach. He's a guy who looks stupid, frankly, right? He acts that way. He talks that way, even if he's probably one of the smartest guys I follow. But... It's relatable. You almost feel that, well, if Lewis could find seven different versions of his vision, why can't I just find one for myself? And that's mm-hmm. the other piece that I love about Lewis.
0: I want to go back to the simplicity part because I think that's really important. And then I want to also think about how has Lewis figured out number three, which is what is the result of this vision happening, right? Because to your point, you know, Chris Doe's got a vision that's somewhat similar to Lewis and that. You know, he wants to impact a billion, help a billion people do what they love, which is a lot of people, a billion people, much like a hundred million people a week that you're impacting. They've put a number, they've quantified their impact, which is gives them a target, gives them something that they're all shooting for because they each have teams, which makes a whole lot of sense. But to your point, when you talk about Christo, when you talk about maybe when you talk about Lewis, it's like, what does that world look like? If they're able to accomplish this quantifiable goal, this mission, this vision, whatever, whatever word we want to use to describe this end result, to your point, the next level of that, what does that world look like when that happens? Do you think Lewis has
1: done that? I classify Lewis as 2.5. So I know this is going to get really confusing really fast. So hear me out. So he's done a great job like Christo has to quantify the vision. Boom, 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 100 million lives a week. But you're correct. He hasn't done the best job of communicating verbally what that world looks like in the same way people like an Elon Musk would. But the reason I say 2.5 and not 2 is because I felt the vision. So what do I mean by that? I'm a bit biased because I went to his live event. And trust me, It is very difficult for someone who hasn't been to a live event. Lewis Howes, Kenny, is what would happen if you go to the event. So I went to the event. There was like 1,500 people there. And it was absolutely magical. I didn't feel his communication skills were strong when communicating, but I felt it. Like every person there was absolutely amazing. Like seriously, it was crazy. And I just pictured it for him. Where I said, wow, what what if there was like 100,000 people like this at an event? How mind-blowing would that be? And then I thought of 100 million. I was like, wow, this world's going to be completely different. So even if he hasn't done a great job communicating the vision, I still want to give credit where it's due. And even if it's still a feedback point for him, where I I truly felt it. Whereas with somebody like Chris Doe, I don't really feel it. Like, it's a very colder approach. It's like, I just want to hit a billion. It almost feels like he's doing it just to hit the number. Even if that's not the case at all, it just feels that way. Whereas with someone like Lewis, it doesn't feel that way at all, especially when you go to a live event of his.
0: Here's the thing, though. We are talking about people that are famous, okay? Their celebrity status to some degree. I mean, Lewis Howes, he might not be a household name in the same way that Oprah's a household name, but millions of people know who he is. And yes, he danced with Ellen. And millions of people know who Chris Doe is, arguably probably not as famous as Lewis Howes at this point because he doesn't have a podcast that's reaching as many people. But actually, he's got a YouTube channel that's reaching 12.5 million people a month, so or at least that many views. So then we think, okay, we don't, and they don't, none of us have to communicate any part of our vision. It could just be for us. So what? at what point does the vision... And also the impact of us hitting the vision, which is like two and three. Should we be communicating that? How should we be communicating that? Does it help to communicate that? Like, give me a little bit of uh, your wisdom and your thoughts about the power, or maybe not, of putting it out there and using, using words and maybe even giving some accountability to yourself because you're putting it out in the universe and or you're actually saying it in public. So you're putting the, the goalposts in public view. And because you put the goalpost in public view, you feel, I think, a a greater sense of duty and responsibility to keep striving in that direction. Curious your thoughts.
1: And that's why I always love your questions, Billy, because it really allows us to address the nuance, right? And you know me well, I don't like yes or nos. I always like the depends. And what's great about this is we get to explore that now. So in terms of communicating your vision, you're right. Chris Doe, Lewis, all these individuals, they probably got a bigger vision here they don't don't talk about. And that's their personal decision. But where do I stand here? Where I stand is there's one version of communicating your vision that works for you that's listening. Because for all of us, it's going to be different. I want to be the Justin Bieber of communication. So I'm going to yell it out all the time. I'm going to be talking about all the time because that's my style. Whereas a lot of people are going to look at me or even potentially you and say, oh, I don't want to do that. That doesn't work for me. But there is one gift I want to give everyone in this audience is there is a very strong benefit of communicating that vision to someone else, even if it's private. Like, for example, this conversation that's live that you're listening to, this conversation would still happen even if we couldn't go live. That's the point I really want people to understand is I would still tell Billy privately one-on-one all the things that we're talking about right now because I just love the ping-ponging. I love the back and forth. We're just doing that right now live so other people benefit. But we 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 used to do this all the time. For three hours straight, we would just ping-pong each other and talk to each other and have these conversations because that ping-ponging helps us develop the vision even further. Because Billy might look at me and say, well, Brandy, you didn't think about this. You didn't think about this. You didn't think about this. And it helps me constantly work my game. So for you, it's really figuring out what version are you comfortable sharing. So let's start at one, right? Level one is we're imitating other people. So going back to the perfect day exercise, going back to just writing a small group of little things of how you want your life to be a bit different, I encourage you to share it with one person. Just one. You don't need to go on social media. You don't need to start a LinkedIn Live. You don't need to have Billy ask you a bunch of questions about your life. All you need to do, or me for that matter, because I ask a lot of questions too, you just need to ask it to your brother, your sister, your best friend, and just start that conversation. You don't need to start that conversation at dinner and say, you know, Billy, you know, today is a very important conversation. We're going to talk about the vision of her life. Like, no, that's not how it should work. It's, hey, Billy, these are a couple of ways. Ideas, I was just writing down a piece of paper. What do you think of them? Those are the conversations I live for privately, not in front of a million people, in front of two people. I encourage you to start having those conversations. But there's a caveat. As you have these conversations with smaller groups of people, most groups start to increase. At some point, I tell my clients this all the time, you're at a crossroads right here. Okay, The transition from one to two or rather two to three, right, if you're doing something much bigger. And the crossroad is, let's do it like this, you have to make a decision. And that decision is, do you keep the vision private to yourself, and you keep scaling in that way, and you keep it as a hobby, or do you go that way, or that way, sorry, this way? Or do you go the other way, and you say, well, if I want to impact millions of lives, I need to attract millions of people towards my vision, which forces me in most cases. I haven't seen a case where this wasn't the case. I haven't seen a case where this wasn't the case. Is where you have to become a public figure. And that is a decision that's totally personal to you. So at some point for me, it was just, I was, I was teaching a very small group of people in the world how to speak, right? It was like five people, 10, pe- 50 people in my university, local university, And then I I made a decision as to whether I just wanted to keep coaching that team and just do that every year as a hobby or make the vision a bit bigger and share it with a lot more people. And that's a decision I made. So I would encourage you to just start at the the bottom, one person, two people, have fun with it, enjoy it, dream a little bit, have fun bouncing ideas back with each other, do the perfect day exercise with each other, it's super fun, I do this with some my friends don't even like doing that, but so I kind of force them to do it because it's kind of fun. And then over time, you'll make a decision as to whether or not you want to share it in a bigger stage.
0: What we've done in this conversation is really give a blueprint. We talked about the three levels of having a life vision. We talked about some practical steps you can take. So included in that is that writing out your ideal day, but also giving yourself some big picture Guides that you can look towards, which include people who have done remarkable things. And it may not be always in business, it may be personal life, it may be other things that you can use. And then you've also talked about, on one hand, a very easy thing to do is for us to imitate. But when we imitate, I think to your very good point, which is don't imitate directly and do exactly what somebody else is doing it, do what's right for you, which is why what your perfect day is, I think is a good center point where somebody could get started leaving this and after hearing this, what they could do immediately is to write out their perfect day. And so as we round out and finish this session, I wanna just make sure that anything that was missed or anything that we need to tie a bow on that we do so now, which can include anything specific about the exercises or maybe even additional exercises, what would you say as a action sort of recipe for somebody leaving and doing something immediately, what would you say they should do right away? Is it the perfect day exercise? Is it finding the people? Give us the basically step-by-step advice that you have to go ahead and start crafting and building out your own personal life vision.
1: You know what I would say is don't leave the buffet empty-handed. I think that's a good way of tying a bow to this conversation. <laughs> There's so many people I see at buffets. They kind of just look at all the choice all the different options, all the different things that we can do, and they just sit there for ten minutes. Eh, I don't know what should we do. I don't know what to pick. My advice: just pick something because you'll realize after you try a couple of things at the buffet because it doesn't charge. It doesn't cost you more money. It's the same price, people. When you go to a buffet, you pay one fee. You try everything. So what do I do? Is that how it is in Canada? No, I'm just kidding, yeah, it's, it's, it's okay, cool. So what I did, <laughs> right when I when I went to the buffet, I spent there's this um. Chinese buffet was good. It's not that great, so I'm not going to name it, but some parts are good. And what we do is we just try a little bit of everything. We just try a little bit of everything. We try the hot dogs. Try And then some of these things we try, we go, wow, this is really good. And other things we try, we go, oh, this is nasty. But since we didn't take a lot, it doesn't matter. So we know next time, so now it's my seventh time, well, probably actually a lot more than seven. It's probably my 50th time at that same damn buffet. Now my experience is always phenomenal because I know exactly what to get because I've tried everything, tried every little thing. But most people never get there, Billy. They never get there. They're not willing to just try a couple of things or make a bloody decision. So the most important thing that all of you need to do, let me translate this outside of the buffet world, is to start stacking little ideas of what you want in life. Simple stuff. Do you want kids? Yes or no? That's one. Do you want to get married? Yes or no? It's not maybe. It's yes or it's no. And if it's maybe, write it down and then just keep stacking it over and over and over again because that list has changed for me every single year and there's no exception so far. And it'll always change in the same way buffet menu items will always change too. And that's okay. But the pick. The idea, the key of this conversation is to make choices and not be afraid to change them, but to make the choices first. And once we make the decision to make choices, then the quality of our lives, our vision, the clarity around that vision will drastically improve.
0: All of this has been shared because Brendan and I have a special announcement on October 7th. We're going to be meeting in Las Vegas, and anybody that wants to join us at the buffet at the Caesars Palace, and we're going to, anybody that could join us on October 7th, we're going to treat your buffet. No, just kidding. <laughs> we're not going to do the- <laughs>
1: You've never even been to Vegas, have you? I, uh, yeah, I don't think I'll ever go unless it's a conference. You
0: are going because you're going to go with me. We're going to Vegas. How <laughs> can you not? If you're on the speaker circuit, you're not going to say no to Vegas if there's some big event. So 100% true. You will be there and we will have a buffet. Awesome conversation. Dr. Kumar Asami, I'm calling you a doctor now. He's got his doctorate. Not really, but uh, we're full of lies right now.
1: <laughs> no, but you know, you, you know this conversation, Billy, before he close this out? is people need to understand I've never compared a vision to a buffet until we had this conversation. But as you were talking to me, it just made so much sense. And that's the key. Notice how I made a choice. And now I'm going to write this down because it's really cool. And then I'm going to keep that. I'm stacking that little piece of knowledge. Mm-hmm. But because we're doing that over time, because I've done that for like six years, that's why it, it just sound, I just sound intelligent. That's not true. I just took one little nugget here. And then, exactly, Yolanda Red, let's go (laughs) get both (laughs) Madison.
0: There's actually not going to be a thing on October 7th, but, I mean, if enough people say we should do it, I'm going to insist that Brendan does it. So let's get a vote. Who wants to meet on October 7th? I don't even know what day of the week that is. Okay, Yolanda's (laughs) in. Oh, man. It's too much fun. But no, you're right. I mean, you just, on the spot, on the fly, created thought leadership, which goes back to our previous conversation. If you missed that, we had an epic session on thought leadership. But any final thoughts before we round out?
1: Yeah, really good job with the attributability today is the idea here that I really want people to take away is the vision It's not an overnight process, right? It's by making those choices over time, we'll end up crafting a beautiful vision for our lives When we look back at it, we'll go, wow, I made all of these 50 decisions and my life looks completely different than what everyone else wants. And once you get to that point, life becomes a lot more fulfilling, especially if you decide to pursue. it.
0: Especially if you have a buffet. All roads lead back to a buffet. If you didn't get anything from this conversation, just know your life will be much better if you take the time to pick, you don't load your plate with one thing when you're at a buffet. Pick a lot of things. See what you like. You you could go back. Guess what? You could go back. Not one time, not even two times. You could go back a hundred times. Oh, that's a good part. Don't waste food. Don't fill up your plate with one thing that you're not even sure you're going to like. It might look good, but looks can be deceiving. Your eyes are bigger than your stomach. So be very, very intentional with what you pick out and how much you pick out. Put it on your plate. Try it. Sample it. Give yourself a chance to... Determine if it's something that you like, if it's something that you could sustainably like, not just one time, but for many meals over and over and over again. And if you think you could like it for a long time, maybe that is one of those stackable features of your life that will help to craft the larger, bigger picture of your life vision. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for watching. So happy to have you all. Until next time, make it a great one. And we will see you back here on Insight Live. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform.